Welcome to the GateWorld Podcast. Welcome, everyone, to episode number 130, holy smokes, of the GateWorld podcast. I'm Darren. I'm David. And this is the show where two nerds talk about Stargate. 130? Is that right? I think that's correct. I think your math is good. Been counting incrementally for, what are we, on our third year now? Are we into our fourth year podcast? What are you talking about? No, 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 no. We started this in 2008. 2008. So this is year four. This is year four. Holy, Whole well, years, yeah. Tonight on the podcast, it's uh, it's open line night this week. We've got lots of voicemail from listeners that we're going to listen to and lots of things to talk about. Most of it's Stargate. Um, before we get into that, here's this month's quickie update on the Stargate rewatch. We are quickly rounding out SG-1 Season 3 for the month of October 2011 and getting ready for SG-1 Season 4 in November. Um, that means the polls are up right now. Uh, if you're listening to this and October is not passed yet, place then, your votes. Uh, go on to the site, go to gateworld.net, and vote for your favorite episode from SG1 Season 3. It's one of my favorite seasons of, of 17 years of Stargate history. Mm. Uh, you can also vote for your favorite character moments and all that good stuff. All that good stuff. Yeah, it's a good year. It's a good year. And we're getting ready to uh, finish up those commentaries for you so you can listen to those. Yeah, season season three commentaries, a couple of those. Mm-hmm. We'll be on the way. Um, I'm not sure what episodes they'll be yet. It's uh, Point not, of view has to be one of them. I'd love to do point of view. It's not entirely clear which episode yet is going to get the top vote, which will be one of the two. Mm. But I'd love to do point of view. Mm. Before we get into the open line night, um, David, catch us up on your world. And uh, I also want to talk about some of the new shows that have just started airing in, in the great world of science fiction not not a whole lot up with me right now i'm working full-time at ebay still um it uh, it occupies a lot of my time and my thoughts and my energy right. and um i'm trying to get some other stuff organized for gate world specifically i'm focusing on the omnipedia at the moment getting that caught Sweet. up uh yeah so that's going on nice. and what about you um, it's, uh, you know, the school year's kicked off. Hopefully this is my last as a student and I can be gainfully employed at some point and sit on the other side of the desk and teach, but, uh, <laughs> I've got a year to try and finish up my PhD thesis. We'll see what happens. But you're now, uh, more or less teaching though. You're beginning I, that exercise. Yeah. I do have the opportunity to do a little bit of, of teaching or, or being what's you know called a tutor or a teaching fellow, so sort of a like teaching a teacher's fellow. assistant. So the professor does the big lecture every week, and then I sort of get together with the group and, and talk about the material. I got the tweed jacket. needs to be let out a little bit in the middle, but I got Oh, it. gee. You really have a tweed jacket? <laughs> yeah. Oh, cool. The little you know, leather elbow patches. you got to play the part. <laughs> if you're going to convince them that you, you are... Uh, you should be you should be listened to. All right then. Okay, so anyways, it's a uh, new fall season uh, also means the start of school, it also means the start of uh of some new shows and some returning shows. 
And so now the difference between you and me I've, I've discovered over the years is I tend to uh, – I watch everything that comes on. Yeah, you're more of a proactive in, viewer. In science fiction fantasy uh, and, and sometimes I'll tune out pretty quickly if I don't like a show. Mm-hmm. You wait until a show is, is good. Proven. And people know that it's, it's proven to be good. And then you'll catch up on a couple of years. Like Game of Thrones. I just watched Game of Thrones. And okay, let's start there. I, I, I also I, just recently this this month watched it for the first time. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was one where I you know, I waited to have that season completed because I prefer to watch stuff in usually one deep swallow. Uh, and we'll get back to that in a moment. But Walking Dead, you know, I just let that go into a couple of episodes and then I started watching it. So there are some that I don't wait until the very end. But what do yep. you think of Game of Thrones? Um, I expected it to be great. It wasn't great. It was amazing. Mm-hmm. I thought it was outstanding. It's like Lord of the Rings on television. Yeah. The production quality is astonishing. The size of the world and just sort of the fabric of all these characters and their mm-hmm. relationships. Once you figure out sort of what the families are and how everybody's related to each other, mm-hmm. it's just an incredible show. There's like 30 guest stars in every episode. It's an yeah. enormous cast, and that is not easy to follow. I went to the just to the HBO website to their characters page that has pictures and names, so that I yeah. could at least sort of match up the last names of people. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and I, once I figured out that the Lannister was married to the Baratheon, the Baratheon, yeah, and that Joffrey was the son of the king, allegedly, uh, well, allegedly, then, uh, then I could sort of track with the storyline a lot better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's just just amazing. But you get the Targaryens, and you get you know all these other characters, like Alfie Allen's character, you know the the one who was captured uh, by the by the Starks, and it's just it's enormous tapestry. But I gotta mm-hmm. tell you, I'm a little bit disappointed because um, I was spoiled by uh, the story the the way the storytelling of Legend of the Seeker is done. I was expecting more resolution in this season, and there's yeah. n- and there isn't very much. You know, I expected the bigger stuff to not be answered, but the the some of the big pieces do not get answered. It's it's yeah. like the build up to Helm's Deep and Two Towers, and then moving Helm's Deep into Return of the King. Mm. It's it's sort of like a lot of the season following Ned around, and and his investigation and what's going on at King's Landing, the the capital city. Mm-hmm. It's like the calm before the storm. It's mm-hmm. everything is falling apart in slow motion. Mm-hmm. And so that's sort of what season one is. The season one just sort of falls apart. The kingdom, the the sort of unity of the kingdom collapses. But mm-hmm. yeah, there's there's not that huge epic payoff in terms of seeing the battle. And I right. wonder on a TV budget, even as as big as this one is, how Millions. much of that battle we're going to see. Well, we need to see something because what they did show, a character gets bonked in the head and you and he wakes us up afterwards. It's like yeah, really really yeah. I missed it. I have a couple of establishing shots of dead bodies and that's all I'm going to get. But aside from that, it was an amazing season. It was. And I've read that this is a this is a sort of a creative challenge for the producers because apparently in, in, for those who have read the books, there are upcoming battles and conflicts that are absolutely uh, essential to the story itself. So you can't necessarily just do dialogue about it mm-hmm. after the fact. And something tells me with the success of season one, I bet they'll have a little bit more money to do just that in the future. I hope so. Um, yeah, because it's, it's yeah, well worth it's, it. It's nice that HBO is, is putting so much behind this, is being careful, is taking their time, is letting, yeah. letting the producers be true to the source material. Yeah. Uh, and you know, when you think about it, 10 episodes, okay, 
um, but they're hour-long episodes, so if you calculate it out, it's actually a little bit more than 13 episodes of, of a mm-hmm. regular season. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. And then Walking Dead, the we just saw the premiere. Yes, uh, yes, that was a strong premiere. Very well done. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to the rest of that season. It'll be nice again. They got six episodes last last year, and they're doing, I think, 13 this year. Good. So yeah, last nice year was to way too short. Kind of a bigger story and uh, get into the these characters' lives a bit more. Mm-hmm. Uh, it remains to be seen what's going to happen to the show once we get past these first two or three episodes that, that Frank Darabont worked on. Mm-hmm. The executive producer got basically fired. Yeah. Yeah, this will be interesting to see where it goes. And Dexter. Uh, I'm trying to get you into to watching Dexter. Um, but that show has uh, has returned. The, uh, the third episode okay. has just aired, and Edward James Almos is uh, one of the guests this season. Ah, uh, cool. And Ronnie Cox, Ron- Ronnie Cox was just uh, was just in an episode, so he was he was a victim. In no- other non sci fi world, I watch House. It's one of my favorite shows. Ah, House is back, and they've just announced that Jamie Bamber is going to be a patient of the week in an upcoming episode. Ah, uh, cool. Yeah, there you go. Um, any of these other new shows have you checked out? Like Terra Nova is the big one. I've I've watched half of the pilot. They okay. they go through they go through the portal and they're there for about ten minutes and then I shut it off. Okay. Uh, I may go back to it. I may not. So we'll see. Yeah, I'm still following it week to week. It's uh... is it an expensive flop or is it uh, is it good? Uh, I'm not willing to call it a flop or good at this point. Wow. Uh, one of the great things about Jurassic Park. Yeah. The big Steven Spielberg. Dinos yeah. on on film on the big screen. This is yeah. Steven Spielberg dinos on the small screen. But one of the things about Jurassic Park was it was accessible to everybody. There were cute precocious kids. I don't remember if it was if the original was PG thirteen or not. It was the sort of thing you could take your family to. And yeah, it's it's scary at one point. I mean, the Velociraptors freaked me out as a kid. And um, right. you know, you've got dinosaurs eating people whole. But generally, it's sort of accessible. And what they've tried to do with this show is to make it accessible, to make it a family show. You can sit down with your kids and watch before they go to bed. Um, that's fine. I want to see a little bit more of the, the you know, there, a dinosaur might swallow a guy at some point. Okay. I'd like and to that see hasn't a, bit, happened yet? a bit more of an edge, Okay. if that makes any sense. The main discussion. We've got a broad range of topics here. We've got some people who uh, who have called in on the last few episodes of Stargate Universe that aired back in May, um, epilogue, and some more talk about, about SGU and post-SGU, and then some other topics to get to a little bit later in the show. So let's start us off. Hi, Darren and Dave. This is Bill from Denver. Uh, long time, first time. Love the podcast. Keep it up. Even if there is no more Stargate, I still want to listen to you guys. Really, my question was, I was wondering where you guys think uh, sci-fi is really going to get its new flagship, because I'm looking at the sci-fi network right now, and I'm seeing a lot of a lot of sort of fluff, a lot of wrestling, and I don't see a home for hard sci-fi there. And for my money, I think that the only place it's going to start popping up is going to be on pay cable. I think that HBO and Showtime and places like that may start taking up the banner and sort of running with it, but I don't know. I, I've i almost given up hope on sci-fi now. So, uh, if you have the podcast, guys, you got to love it. Well, we just spent all this time talking about 
amazing shows like Game of Thrones. But none of them take place that in are, space. That are on pay cable. Maybe yeah. maybe there's an idea out there of uh, of a of a true hard science fiction show that could interest somebody like HBO. I don't know. Since Showtime did did Stargate, I don't think they've done really anything kind of like that that was anywhere in the neighborhood of space. And you know, I I think it's really, I think it's uh, not criminal. Criminal is not the right word, but negligent that that they haven't even considered. You know, um, entering that territory, you know, taking a taking a chance with a, a, a type of show like a Firefly or something like that, not picking it up, mm. but creating one whole cloth. I think it would be really successful if you look at the box office records for Star Trek Eleven. You can see that there is a substantial interest in in that type of programming that could be made on an HBO or Showtime budget, and you're just not seeing it. Yeah, so the challenge has always been how to get all those people who go out and spend bajillions of dollars at the theater for a summer blockbuster, like a an Iron Man or Transformers, mm. to tune in week to week on their television, uh, even if it's DVRing something. And it seems like something like Game of Thrones has proved that if the quality is, is high enough, the source material is good enough, uh, maybe not necessarily even an adaptation of an existing property, but... Uh, people will show up. They're not going to show mm-hmm. up on the level of American Idol. You know, there's not going to be 20 million viewers flocking to HBO. Yeah. But hopefully, it's sufficient to to sort of maintain a show like that. Mm-hmm. It's fluff sci-fi, which is fine, but it's not really something that I'm interested in. You know, some take it or leave it sci-fi. I want sci-fi that, like Lost, like Battlestar Galactica, that makes me dwell on it. That makes yeah. me really makes me feel for it. And if I don't know the the answer to this, you know, if, if I go to my grave without the answer to this, I will be spinning for eternity. So <laughs> that kind of thing, you know, mm-hmm. that's that's what I'm in it for. So maybe not everyone is. It seems like Sci Fi Channel has has just become too homogenized, too vanilla in its in its mm-hmm. drama offerings. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm fine with a, a show like Warehouse 13 or Alphas, you know, something that's sort of set on Earth and is, you know... Yeah, you need those. You need those. There's nothing wrong with that. supernatural element to what otherwise would, would not be a science fiction premise. Yeah. So Warehouse 13 is sort of like a police procedural with a, with a sci-fi twist, mm-hmm. a, a, a fantasy twist. No, and I'm, I'm all for that. I mean, if, if that group... Uh, if if my group should deserve to have its space opera, then that group should deserve to have their more casual sci-fi. Absolutely. Yeah, and you, so, you see why that sort of show appeals to a broader audience. Why it's sort of more accessible to. Absolutely, there's nothing wrong with know, that. My my mother and father-in-law watch that show. Uh, Warehouse Thirteen or Eureka? Warehouse Thirteen. Yeah, I know yeah. a lot of people who watch Warehouse Thirteen. They get a kick out of it. Yeah, I mean it's the highest rated show on the network right now. So the problem is the the Sci-Fi Channel has become only that because those shows have been so successful. Eureka and Warehouse and, mm-hmm. and now Alphas and Haven. Those shows have been so much more successful than the shows that cost a lot of money and are set in outer space or set in the future or on another planet with robots. The um, number crunchers not, are missing the point. They're not doing a little bit of everything now. And mm-hmm. so the result is they're not they're not really a Sci-Fi Channel at all anymore. Mm-mm. They're just following the bottom line. They're not doing what's in the best interest Mm-mm. of the genre. Mm-mm. No, it's very much a spreadsheet channel where you've you've got people mm-hmm. who are examining bottom lines and 
And whatever that result is, is what we're getting in return. You you don't feel the presence of someone at that network going, you know what? Mm-hmm. This this show is a risk, but it's a risk worth taking. Like Firefly. Like Firefly or or Caprica. And there is no one there waving that banner. There was no there is no it one seems that you, like it. Yeah, you know, that's one of the things that Herb Solo said when he went to NBC and said, you know, guys, Star Trek is an expensive, the original series, Star Trek is an expensive program, but, you know, if, if, and if it fails, it fails. But if it does, we will have at least tried to do something that, that is, that is good and is of quality. And there is no one there doing that for the sci-fi channel. Yeah. And ironically, it's, it's Fox. It's the, it's the network that canceled Firefly. After, you know, 13-some episodes, or before that, probably. It's Fox that is sort of willing to take these risks now. You know, willing to give a fourth season to Fringe when its ratings Mm -hmm. were were on the bubble. And that's a show that I'm looking forward to watching. Yeah, willing to do a show like Terra Nova. Willing Mm -hmm. to do, you know, they gave Sarah Connor Chronicles a a full second season. Mm -hmm. It's crazy that it's Fox that is making these decisions now that are pro-sci-fi. Uh, pro the genre and not the sci-fi channel mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know to their credit the executives at sci-fi channel apparently wanted to renew eureka didn't want it to get canned and they had just been nbc universal just been acquired or entered into some sort of new major- majority shareholder deal with comcast and so the new bosses at comcast basically crunched the numbers on the spreadsheet and said this isn't this isn't worth continuing mm-hmm and so even the sci-fi no execs that. at that yeah. point got over got overruled. Yeah, yeah. If, if you have no one in that crowd who is a fan of that show, it's just going to get axed. It's just going to get axed. But on a happier note, <laughs> let's change gears and talk about SGU a little bit. Hello, this is Austin in Wichita, Kansas, calling about the 18th episode of SGU's second season epilogue. I have a few questions, and first off, why wouldn't they use the stairs to get out of the bunker instead of climbing up the ladder? You could see it in the background of all of the shots, and I never really understood why they were making the dangerous climb when they had those stairs readily available. My second question is why they were so surprised to find out that there was a black hole entering the star system. Uh, for Destiny to have been able to plot a course to that planet, it would have had to have taken into account the extra gravity of having a second star in the system. My third question is regarding the speed of the black hole as it moved through the system. It seemed like the writers didn't ever really have a clear grasp of speed that things move in space. Either they had the black hole entering the system very quickly and immediately causing damage to the planet, or it would have had to be moving very slowly, in which case there would have been plenty of time to evacuate the planet, and then Destiny would have shown up and had plenty of time to get the archives up to the ship and figure out everything that had been going on. But really, it seemed like they moved the black hole in very quickly. Everyone from Novus had to suddenly escape, and then Destiny shows up years later. And then, again, very quickly things start to happen. It just really didn't seem like they had a consistent timescale worked out. My fourth question is why they can't find the ships on their trajectory from Novus to the new planet. Somewhere in the archives, they must have put in at least their launch date and destination, and Destiny should be able to extrapolate their course from that information. My fifth question is why Camille was the last surviving member of the Destiny crew. It seems more plausible to me that one of the crew members who's a little bit younger would be the last one surviving, like Eli or Matt or Chloe or Greer or someone else in that age bracket. 
My final note is regarding the difference between Nova and Novus, which you guys touched on. Really, they are the same word. It's just Nova is the feminine form and Novus is the masculine. There's also a neuter form, Novum. And you can see the difference um, when you talk about Terra Nova is a feminine phrase, Filius Novus is a masculine phrase, and Bellum Novum is a neuter phrase. Hey, how you doing? This is William from Camden, New Jersey. I was calling to ask, why couldn't you at least do if not another series, at least do a movie to, to solve this cliffhanger. We want to know what happens to the SGU people in the end of the franchise. You know, we want to know what happens. You can't just leave it off like that. Austin, those are all very good quibbles for Epilogue, which was, of course, one of our favorite episodes of SGU. Um, all these little details that, that we niggle at on the podcast, um, I, I imagine the writers are thinking around the production personnel who are building the stairs and you know building the ladder on the side are thinking about um but there's not necessarily time in the episode you know mm-hmm. to explain every every detail why the the you know maybe the ladder is blocked or or there are, are several rungs that are out yeah you just you just it's one of those things where you have to assume that you know they couldn't use the stairs because the stairs were blocked we just didn't have that info so um but you know it's it's you're, you're you're spotting those details, so that's good. You're an active yeah. viewer. Good paying attention. And this was one of my little quibbles, I think, that I brought up. Uh, it's been so long since we did the epilogue podcast, but the fact that the the Novans are apparently in a in a relatively slow ship on their way, having evacuated their planet on their way mm-hmm. to one of their colonies, and why can't we just find them and drop out uh, with Destiny, drop out of FTL. Now that we can control her, yeah. Hail them and see if they have this entire database that we can finish looking through for, for a cure to to uh, what's ailing TJ. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good point. Mm-hmm. Maybe exchange some personnel. And then William asks the age-old movie question that uh, all of us have sort of been wondering about. The show seems to have ended on a cliffhanger. Why not at least give us a movie? Just make us something that's 90 minutes long. We'll pay money for it. It's certainly what the producers wanted to do, but I mean, if you can't wrangle the the funds from the the, the people holding the purse strings, you know, it just, it just can't get done. Yeah, this is the unfortunate disconnect between the people who write these awesome episodes and create these characters that we love, and the people who hold the purse strings that give them the ability to do that. Mm-hmm. Which is that one of that one of those two parties, you know, cares about resolving cliffhangers, and the other mm-hmm. one, eh, not not so much. I don't want to be too cynical and say they're they're just you know. Crunching numbers and pushing pennies, but right. I'd I, love to get a movie. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's still in the life of the show and the afterlife of the show. It's still relatively early, so I mean, who knows what we're gonna get next <laughs> and when? I mean, how long did it take Star Trek before before the feature film was officially greenlit by the motion Paramount picture? And we knew. Um, no, I'm talking about 2009 Star Trek. Oh. Uh, after Enterprise went off the air, how long was it before we knew for a fact that they were making a movie? Two and a half, three. Yeah, yeah, but that it was a, take a reboot, and and that is that. Uh, you know, you have to say it. That is a is a show that has a much larger audience than than Stargate does. You know, yeah, that's forty five year built in. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. There was a fever for that show once it started building its momentum and syndication. And I don't see that for Stargate. I mean, uh, people people are always asking me, Stargate, what's Stargate? You know, is that the one with MacGyver? And for the common man, we haven't really gotten out of that. You know, at least here in the U.S., 
where a lot of those dollars are needing to be, you know, seen to, to generate that, to generate that revenue. The show is, was created for, for a United States audience. I just wish we could mobilize all the people in, in Europe and, you know, the other areas where the, uh, where the show is really popular and see if we could do something. But I just don't know. I just don't know. Hi, this is Tyler calling from uh, Bothell, Washington. And um, yeah, two quick things. First, um, didn't know if you guys noticed, but the woman that played the doctor in Stargate Universe that would occasionally come on to Destiny and then the one that informed Eli about his mother's condition in early season two, um, I'm watching The Ark of Truth right now and I noticed that she's the actress is the same uh, woman that plays one of the uh, ancients in the um, very first scene before they take off to come to uh, Milky Way. The other thing is a question, and I wanted to get um, the fans and your guys' feedback on, is um, if you think it would be interesting if MGM slash Spyglass slash Brad Wright took the... Uh, two to three to four part episodes throughout the uh, franchise and released them individually but um, like as a movie format similar to what they just did with Children of the Gods. Say they take um, a good example would be from Stargate Atlantis The Siege Parts 1, 2, and 3. Uh, they could even take Letters from Pegasus but cut out the, um, the flashbacks and turn that into just one movie you only, if you have an opening credits sequence, it would only be once. You would only have one end credit sequence. And I think that this would be an interesting way for them to make some money. But uh, my thought is that if they were to do this, that it'd be nice if they could earmark any profits gained from it to go towards a future um, Stargate movie, whether it's the post-Atlantis one, which they did promise us, the third SG-1 movie or a post-SGU or one that would kind of be post-everything movie. I'm at a Borders right now actually looking at the Stargate books, and I've noticed that I haven't heard anything about a, another Stargate Universe book coming, and I was just wondering if any of you guys have heard about a uh, second Stargate Universe book, because it'd be kind of nice to get another story with those characters out, given that there's I think 20 or so now of SG-1 and about 15, 16 of, at least, of Atlantis. Tyler's got another interesting idea about movies, uh, which is, what do you think about, about this idea? About taking some of the old two-parters that we love. Like right now on the rewatch for SG-1 Season 3, we've been, we've been rewatching Joel and R's Memories mm-hmm. and The Devil You Know, which is one of my favorite two-parters of all time. Uh, for Stargate, what about sort Just of doing recutting a, a, them? A recut, a polish, put it out on DVD and charge ten bucks for it. Um, that would be it. Would be interesting. It would be like it's a one-time really viewing. Interesting though. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's yeah. something that Tyler could do. You know, get his uh, get his uh, uh, video editing software of his choice out. That's something <laughs> that you know. You don't really need a Brad Wright to sit down on and do to to make it look real. I, 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 you need to see Star Wars Revisited to see what I'm talking about. It is a great mm. fan cut of Star Wars. They fix mm. so much stuff; it's not even funny. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's that we could do something similar to that. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it would be fixing 
in in this scenario so much yeah. as yeah trying to trying to find a new revenue stream for the studio maybe. Uh, but his idea is interesting to use those funds profits. Yeah, for a new Stargate movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the problem is is that you've got a sort of limited, finite base of Stargate fans who have you know purchasing power to own the show on DVD, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and and most of those fans already do own the show. So it'd be it'd be kind of a a big uphill battle to convince that group to go out and buy a sort of recut of something they already mm-hmm. have. Exactly. The thing with Children of the Gods was, uh, you know, it had a lot of new content added to it, and it was a, just a fresher cut of, of the show. And for something like this to be successful, they would go back to the Children of the Gods numbers and ask, okay, was it worth it? Yeah, and I got the impression from, from Brad Wright that that was something that he pushed through with MGM because because he had the clout to push it through, and it was important to him. To Did they make their money back, done. though? Um, I don't know if they made their money back, but uh, Brad Wright could push that. Because mm-hmm. it was important to him, uh, and I'm not sure that the the same could be said of you know any any old two parter. He also uh, asks the question: um, Any additional SGU novels coming? And I will say, don't hold your breath. And that is all I will really? say. You think so? Yeah, yeah. After Air, uh, the novelization for Air came out. I think that was right around the same time that the pilot premiered, wasn't it? Like the fall of 2000. About the same time, the novelization came out. As soon as we got through 2010 and season one was wrapping up and season two was starting and there were there were no new notices of, of SGU novels coming out, I, I started to think, uh, maybe SGU doesn't quite have mm. the, the audience backing it like mm-hmm. the SG-1 novels have. Mm-hmm. Um, remember all the, the sort of fan feuding, uh, ratings aside, all the, all the sort of feuds among Stargate fans over SGU. Uh, those people who were fighting over the show uh, are the sort of fans who go to the bookstore and buy the novels. Hello, Darren and David. Um, I've been catching up on your GateWorld podcast lately. First of all, I want to say that um, I'm kind of a casual viewer. I mean, I don't spend a lot of time in the forums, and I don't like read or listen to every interview with producers and actors and so on. So I'm not an insider like you guys. But anyway, uh, for the first time in 13 years... I guess it's 13 years. Uh, we now find ourselves completely gateless. And I don't think this is the state of affairs that any of us Stargate lovers wanted to end up in. And to me, it, it seems to be the result of some fairly uh, hardline positions. Um, of course, we know the hardline business position of the artist formerly known as the Sci Fi Channel, uh, which is basically if you don't get X number of viewers, you're canceled. But the other hardline position seems to be that of the producers. It's like, you know, Stargate Universe is what we want to do. You can't expect us to keep doing the same old SG-1 for the rest of forever. So this is what we're doing, and if you don't like it, leave it. I mean, my impression is that the people involved in the making of SGU were basically saying that they didn't really care about what us fans wanted. So us old-time Stargate fans who complained about the cancellation of SG-1 and SGA were basically told... Go watch reruns. Um, go watch your DVDs and shut up. Uh, we don't need you. We'll replace you with new fans, eh, so buzz off. But these magical new fans never materialized. The other impression I have is that it all kind of ended rather sadly and badly. Um, 
I mean, there seems to be like an enthusiasm to tear everything down, uh, you know, auction it all off, burn it all to the ground. If they don't want our Stargate universe, then they shall have no Stargate at all. That'll teach them. Yeah, you know, it, it just seems like a, a more nuanced approach on the part of both um, the producers and and sci-fi would would be more helpful because um, I I really think there's there's like millions of Stargate fans who really want Stargate on their television. Um, they just don't want Stargate Universe. So you know why no effort to give us fans what we want, even if it means that some people need to step away and 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 let somebody some other people take over. But anyway, as far as SGU is concerned, I think we kind of have to admit that SGU was was a failure as, as a TV show. And I believe that at least part of the reason was that the show was literally too dark. Um, it was basically a bunch of average-looking people in a candlelit cave um, pining over their miserable plight, and it was just too depressing for, for many viewers. I don't know that highbrow writers and actors necessarily keep a TV show on the air. You know, it's kind of a small group of people. Um, but, you know, in the final analysis, I think the lesson to be learned here is that if that you need to hang on to your existing fan base um, if you want to survive as a TV franchise. I think that if and when Stargate comes back, it's going to have to care more about fan reaction and be willing to uh, adapt and and adjust accordingly. But, you know, those are just some of my opinions. Um, I'm interested in what you guys think about that. That was a good voicemail, Andrew. Thank you for sharing that. Um, you know, you know I, I was I was caught off guard by a couple of your comments that you made and and I will be the I will be the first to admit that um my show, which was SGU, which I loved, um, did not, didn't, I mean, it failed to impress, you know, um, this was the show that I was waiting for and the, uh, the, the, the numbers just weren't there for it. The interest just wasn't there for that. And that's, and that's hard for me to say because it, I yeah, loved it. It didn't catch broad attention. It did not catch broad attention and it, consequently it got canned. So, um, that's just the way it goes. For the broader issue of, of Stargate in general, I think that that was very bad <laughs> because now we've got nothing. So, but, you know, I, I can understand that, you know, some fans preferred one show over the other. I mean, it was a big risk to take, uh, particularly on a network that already is sort of um, viewer challenged. Yeah, maybe that's all I should say about that. Okay. Um, okay. Friday night was one thing, but... Sci-Fi Channel on Tuesday nights in October. Sorry, that's yeah, a kill slot. That's a kill slot. Yeah, my my blame is thrown mostly at the network itself for that. Hi, this is Ivan from Chicago. Finally got to listening to the um, Gauntlet uh, episode, and I want to thank you guys for making the statement at the very end there that your podcast is uh, you're not meant to be politically correct, and I think that one of the best things about the podcast that you guys feel free to express yourselves in an open way and uh, that, you know, it makes it even better. And I'm sure that you, you you do sense yourself somewhat just in terms of that you don't want to sound stupid on the air and you think through some of your ideas and when you do go through the editing, something comes comes out that sounds really stupid or, would, you know, sound really racist or really um, inconsiderate. You, I, you do make those, um, you know, corrections. Um, but in general, 
it's meant to be a open podcast. <laughs> thank you for the uh, thank you for the voicemail. I, I listened to that and was I was reminded of a comment that I read on the forum mm-hmm. a couple months back, where you know the 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 for where you and I didn't follow uh, forum etiquette on the podcast, and I remember thinking to myself, "What does forum etiquette have to do with the podcast?" That's the forum. This is the podcast. Mm. Um, it was the sort of thing where you know we wouldn't uh, we wouldn't be allowed to say that on the forum. Why should we get away with saying it on the podcast? Right, but it's not the forum. It's the podcast. So yeah. this is my podcast. This is your podcast. We gotta we gotta say what we want to say, um, and and try and be as diplomatic as possible, but still say say what we want to say. But um, on the same token, it is your job to call in. And tell us what you think, you know, um, and, sure. and you can do that. You have the same flexibility mm-hmm. that we do in terms of what you want to say when you call in. Just always strive for diplomacy. Yeah. And it, believe me, speaking from experience, it is not easy. <laughs> so <laughs> it is not especially, easy, especially when you have a co-host who occasionally puts you on the spot. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, that that's what makes interesting radio, doesn't it? Yeah. So, you know what I'm bringing to the show next month? Uh, swears. You're bringing swears. We we swear. We swear. Heck yeah. Poop. <laughs> Jeez. Hi guys, this is Bob from England. I recently bought the Atlantis Blu-rays and was shocked to learn that there is no audio commentary for The Shrine in season five. I was just hoping that maybe you could use your connections with some of the cast and crew to maybe I don't know how you do it, but get some of them together to record their own audio commentary and then post it as a podcast so that we can listen along like you've done already in the Stargate Rewatch. Thanks, guys. Is that the case? I didn't know that there was no commentary. You know, I think I remember reading something shrine. about that. And you know what? We're, we're pretty buddy-buddy with David Hewlett. I wouldn't be surprised if we could convince him to do that. Yeah. We was there, that there was, was there one on the DVD but not on the Blu-ray? Or was I there don't just know. never record one? I don't think – I just don't think it – I don't think it got recorded. I think it just slipped Crazy. right through. So Crazy. you you and David did uh, a podcast, for it, but it wasn't a um, I know it wasn't a commentary. So you and you and David could probably go back and do that. Yeah, we can we can talk to him about that, David Hewlett. Um, if uh, it's it's not a commentary, but it might get you by for now. Go look at the podcast mm-hmm. archives uh, at gateworld.net/podcast, mm-hmm. and you can find our podcast for the Shrine and. Mm-hmm. Uh, David Reed here was off that week, and so instead it's yeah. me and David Hewlett. There you go. Booyah. And commentaries, this is something that we're building on. It's just not It's not just going to be um, uh, me and Darren. Uh, I'm looking at some special guests for the commentaries. Uh-huh. I know that Amanda Tapping has expressed interest in in, cool. in the commentaries. So if that's I something... I a few episodes. Yeah, if that's something that you would... If you would like to hear her do fresh commentaries uh, with us, uh, you know, if you do any of the uh, Tapping Tuesdays, you know, get in touch with her, ask her to contribute, you know. I know that Peter Williams... Uh, I, I approached Peter and he is interested. So um, we'll see how these go. And if, if you do want to hear um, these cast members and guest stars in in uh, episode commentaries uh, mm-hmm. for commentaries that weren't recorded on the DVDs like someone more you know outside of outside someone who wasn't at the studio every day to record let us know and let them know and you know yeah if, if it's, there is if it's an actor who's online who's on yeah. twitter um you know nudge them in, in our in our direction especially guest stars i know uh, and sort of day players are just they're not 
they're not officially under MGM employ mm-hmm. uh, at the time that these episodes were made, so they're, they're virtually never included. I think there's a couple of episodes maybe with Gary Jones exactly. or somebody like that who's around yeah. all the time, but otherwise they only had the full-time cast members to work with. If that. If that. And yeah, so, usually writers and directors do the, the official commentaries. Yeah, so I mean, if you want to hear Peter Williams you know, do a commentary on Serpent Song, you know, ping him. You know the the nice thing about the the uh, the advancement of of uh, internet communication in the last few years is you can reach out to these people and let them know you know that we're we're looking to do some commentaries with them and and point them in our direction so, mm. so that'll be fun. It's a nice idea. Yep, Mike Dopood has already recorded with us for a couple of episodes. He recorded uh, Tracker for Atlantis, and he recorded an episode of SGU when we met with him uh, earlier this year in Atlanta. Sweet. So you know those are those are going to be coming when we reach them in the rewatch. So those will already be there, but those are far out. And they were good shows. Let me tell you, they were very interesting episodes. I can't wait for people to hear them. I sort of wonder what that exercise would sound like if it was. Uh, uh sort of a less favorite episode of Stargate? Well, for Tracker, that was me. <laughs> so, Well, Tracker I mean, wasn't necessarily a favorite, but I'm thinking of, like, um, we just posted an interview earlier in October with Julia Benson, yeah. who, who was on, uh, on Stargate Universe as Lieutenant Vanessa James. Uh, a lot of people are going to recognize her from uh, Stargate Atlantis, back her first Stargate appearance. It's Willa was in Irresistible. Yeah. Which is not uh, not necessarily a beloved episode in Stargate history for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that was her. I wonder what it would sound like to do a commentary on Irresistible with Julia. It, yeah. It, we, you know, I mean, we, we're in season three right now, so we do have momentum building, and in, just, just because we're outside of a season doesn't mean we can't do a commentary for that season if it's behind us. Or, I mean, if there's enough interest, you know, we may take a few months break after the whole rewatch parade is done and start over again so who knows yeah you know if if people out there who are listening to this podcast have listened to the few commentaries that we've released so far i mean we've only released uh, four solitudes torment of tantalus and fifth uh, race matter of time and the fifth race yeah uh, and i haven't gotten much of any feedback yet i i'm i don't know how much they're getting used i'd really love to hear from people if, mm-hmm. if they've listened to them and found them found them worth continuing at all or not. I mean, let us know if you've listened to them and tell us what you think. Um, if there isn't enough of interest in it, then I don't see why we would continue to do it other than for for our own amusement. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I which mean, if honestly it's... is a lot of what Gate World is about. Is <laughs> yeah. Okay, we got a we got a call from Mark this mm-hmm. week. Let's give him the microphone. Hello, this is Mark from Metro Detroit, and I'm calling this time for Open Line Night, and I have uh, a a topic for you that I would love you guys to talk about. The future of Stargate. Where do you want the future to go? Do you want a new show? Do you want a movie? And more specifically, um, what would you like the fourth show to be if and when they make it? Now that it's quite possible, it's more than just banter, it's possible that we actually might get a sequel to the original movie, the uh, 94 movie. Would you want to see that now that it's possible and do you have any ideas of what you would want to see in that? Or do you just completely hate the idea completely? And do you think it's possibly a good idea to get the show restarted again? And the last thing I wanted to mention is I've been thinking recently about an ancient series, the fourth series being about the ancients and really getting to know them. 
do you like that idea? Do you hate that idea? And what time period do you think it would be set in? Do you think it would be set in? Do you think it would be good to set it in the period with the um, with the URI and find out why they split and kind of get more into that? Or do you think setting it way after the fact and kind of making it more about Atlantis and those group of ancients? Because there's a huge deficit of time. So the shows would be probably a lot different. At this point, I'd be up for really for anything. Um, you know, if something is better than nothing, as far as I'm mm-hmm. concerned, just throw it against the wall and see if it sticks. Feed um, me, feed me, more. But um, yeah, I'm I'm up for anything right now. I'd be up for a, a another Emmerich film. You and I have went round and round about this one, but um, I would be up for it. Uh, yeah. I, th- I think it would draw a broader appeal to Stargate and might actually give life to the uh, rebirth to the series again. Um. Yeah, I'd be. Up I think for it, it much certainly anything. could. It certainly could if you if you had a big hundred million or two hundred million dollar feature film with Devlin Emmerich. Yeah, that equals um, attention, and attention is good. It certainly would get attention, um, but it's sort of going back to the old continuity and doing things mm-hmm. all over again. It's not an SG one movie, mm-hmm. uh, so I don't know how I feel about losing all that history. You're not losing think- the history; it's not deleting it. Any more than Star Trek Eleven deletes what came before. It's just a different universe. Star Trek Eleven is brilliant because it's not a different universe. It's it is a different a, universe. It's no. a different reality. No, it's the same reality. No, it's not. They didn't overwrite anything. They went back. It's, the, it's in continuity with the forty years that have gone before because this you have is Spock true. Prime this traveling is back true. in time and and then events unfold differently, which causes a. Effectively a parallel reality. Yes, but I, okay. But when you boil down to it, how badly do you want Stargate to come back on television? And what would you be willing to do to see that happen? A $150 million movie would draw significant attention. Yes. I would rather have a Devlin Emmerich version of Stargate, whether it's more movies or a TV show spinoff of that that is, that is you know, sort of a second spinoff of the original film that's not connected with SG-1 at all. I'd rather have that than nothing. Thank you. That's all I'm saying. But I would rather continue Stargate as we know and love it. Well, let me tell you something. For the time being, that ain't going to happen. Because go back and watch that movie again. That movie is really is really at a distance. Yeah. There's a reality and there's... Wishful you know, thinking. <laughs> if I got exactly what I wanted, uh, I want a fourth series that's set in continuity with the existing uh, stuff that we know that's set like... 50 years in the future that is is the operations of the SGC in the near future, mm-hmm. not the distant future, mm-hmm. um, but is futuristic. Where the Stargate is known. Maybe. Yeah, and there are political ramifications, but there is also a, a system set up where the, the teams can do what they need to do without an IOA breathing over their shoulder. Mm-hmm. I would like that very much, and I wouldn't be surprised if when a fourth show did get greenlit in the future, that is something in the vein of what they would do because they're not going to do, um, they're not going to do any prequels with the ancients. It's just not, I don't, I don't think it's going to happen. If Rob Cooper had his say, it's just not something that they're, they're interested in moving in the direction of. When you look at this, yeah. look at the first three star Wars is when you know what's coming, it's not as compelling. I mean, well, I, <laughs> I thought that, I thought the prequels were dead a few years ago and then they started making them again or they continued making them. I'm like, really? This is a pre- really? This is a prequel? Mm-hmm. Really? I thought we were done with that. 
I thought Star Wars basically proved that you're, you know, just stabbing yourself in the head by doing prequels. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But look but, at Caprica. Um, I mean, yeah, Caprica in some idea. ways was interesting, but yeah. Yeah, Caprica would be an example. And they, they were able to make it different enough from Battlestar mm-hmm. uh, that, that it was still interesting. But right. the Ancients is not a... Is not a They're I mean, not... I think the idea is just bad enough that they might actually do it. You think... Do you think they do the ancients? Because people are still doing prequels. I think the idea is just bad enough that somebody. Might I don't say, know the oh, ancients, ancients, but the ancients aren't us. And I think one of the cornerstones of Stargate is that it's us. It's also us in the in the here and now. But I think they would be willing to forfeit that last little uh, little bit um, to move the show in a new direction because the last three shows, you know, mm-hmm. have come and gone, and you know they're sitting on the shelves now to enjoy. And I would want. I mean, I wanted SGU, but I'm, uh, let's face it, that ain't going to happen now. Um, so I think the next best bet is is moving it in a, in a new direction. And I think a new direction would be exactly what you said, putting it a few years in the future, changing mm-hmm. the pieces on the board a little bit, introducing a new pieces. And I think it would be very compelling. Yeah, have a have a Tok'ra be a full-time team member. Yeah. or I'd, I mean, I'd rather see a Tok'ra show than an ancient show. Yeah, I suppose. I suppose that is well. But, I mean... It let things evolve in the Milky Way for a few years and then come back to it to, to a new conflict, you know, mm-hmm. a, a Yuzan Vong scale conflict of some kind. You know, if you're aware of the, the Star Wars uh, expanded history, you know, something like that, just, you know, you know some kind of a big threat. So mm. if you advance the storyline on Stargate 50 years down the road, then I'd be happy saying, you know, somebody else came along. It's something that doesn't erase established television continuity, but just expands on it in an unexpected direction. You know, with Stargate, yeah. with, the, with the SGC on the moon or something, you know. Set it a little bit further ahead of us, because right now, you know, I don't know if you looked outside your window, but we need some optimism. <laughs> so, it's you know. It's raining. Yeah. I'm looking at right now, it's dark and it's raining. Oh, give some to me, please. It hasn't rained this year. But it's Scotland, so what do you expect? <sighs> yeah, dreary. Yeah. So, Mark, you know, what you bring up is, is an interesting sort of dynamic or dilemma with the, the Devlin Emmerich thing, which is that we've got two concerns here. We've got what's it going to take to make Stargate really creatively interesting and exciting again that fans are going to love, and what is it going to take to make it financially mm-hmm. viable and successful again? So, you know, a big-budget De- Devlin Emmerich movie was probably the best chance at getting Stargate back on the map. But I would find it creatively less satisfying. Mm-hmm. Let's see what Dean has to say. Hello, Vancouver. Uh, hello, my name's Dean, and I'm calling from Vancouver, BC. Um, I just uh, really enjoyed your last uh, podcast about um, SGU uh, as a whole, and uh, a lot of uh, all your comments. But uh, but also, uh, I have to agree quite a bit with um, with Diane because I thought that was um, that was pretty special that. Um, you know, she mentioned that, uh, you know, I was thinking that perhaps the mission for Destiny uh, or, you know, the background radiation would eventually lead to seeing the, um, possibly, uh, that the ancients had, had placed that there, that they were responsible for the creation of, of, you know, the galaxy and the universe. But you guys extended that uh, kind of a step further and said that perhaps um, Destiny itself is, is what seeded the universe it was kind of the ultimate seed ship and that the crew of the destiny could actually be the original agents and um i thought that was that was pretty that was a pretty cool idea and you know as an overarching theme for the whole series um 
an ending for the series. That that would have been pretty awesome. Um, I, I will say that with with SGU, um, you know, like with Stargate, or I should say, uh, with with SG One and Atlantis, um, you know, three things kind of kind of stand out. You know, in terms of you know the action and the humor, and kind of the sense of um, of family or friendship. You know, among the the, the cast or the the team, and uh, SGU. Uh, really didn't have any of those, and I think a lot of that was actually on purpose. Um, you know, from what I read about the show, it was meant to sort of be uh, almost an anti-SG1, where uh, you know the pacing was a lot slower. It was um, you know serialized and um, uh, kind of more like a soap opera, and you know there was the crew conflicts, um, and also uh, you know a lot of the characters were unlikable, especially Doctor Rush. I think that was kind of the main feature of the show and, and really advertised. Um, so I think that SGU didn't um, didn't appeal to a lot of Stargate fans because it, it missed those three elements, and also for mainstream um, fans of drama and and uh, you know network drama, uh, I think it was a little bit too sci-fi um, for a lot of people. Just uh, to kind of compare um, the characters of uh, Colonel Shepard and uh, and Doctor McKay to kind of the SG One group with. Uh, uh, you know Jack O'Neill and uh, Samantha Carter and and Daniel Jackson, um, because I thought that um, you know just thinking about Atlantis versus SG One, um, in some ways I thought SG One had more of a conscience, kind of a moral conscience in the way that you know like Star Trek is kind of famous for, as opposed to Atlantis, um, in that Samantha Carter and Daniel Jackson sort of served as kind of the moral conscience for Jack O'Neill, or but. Um, Whereas, you know, on Atlantis, um, you had some of the cast changes and stuff like that. So, um, you know, Dr. Weir eventually left the cast, um, and she kind of served as kind of a moral conscience. But she wasn't as strong because, you know, she was more of a civilian presence. Um, whereas uh, Colonel Shepard was military, and, you know, in SG-1, they were all military. Dean, I think your comments are really insightful. Um, SGU lacked that that spark of the team that we all loved so much from SG-1 and Atlantis. Uh, but but that was probably by design. These guys deliberate. were stuck in this tin can together. And, I mean, by episode 12, we had a civil war on our hands. Mm-hmm. We had an all-out coup. Um, and, yeah, it was only in season two when those characters started to bond in a, in a familial way that the show started working better for me. I don't think there's anything wrong with not taking trust and loyalty for granted at the beginning. With, with SG-1, except with the exception of Teal'c, that was all built in from day mm-hmm. one, you know, and it continued that way throughout the, throughout the show. You know, and you could see by the end of season two, and you knew in your heart of hearts, that that, that that was where they were going, that they were going to come together. And we could see the progression of that and watch them earn each other's trust. It's just, right. a, different, it's just a different way of telling the story. New television show, new way of telling the story. Same basic universe, though. Same same history. Same everything else. Just new cast of characters with a with a slightly new formula. Anything else is I've seen it. I've already seen it. I almost think it it would have been more successful if there would have been sort of pockets of loyalty and pockets of friendship. You know, these two characters over here and these two over there. So on a show like Lost, when it kicks off and the characters don't know each other. There's, you know, people are, are at each other's throats a bit. There's this group versus that group. Um, but still, you've got, you know, Jin and Son are married. So there's some loyalty there, although the, once we start to see their backstory. 
I think that Matt and Ron is probably the one example that I can think of. Mm-hmm. Um, Eli's introduced as, as a lovable outsider. He's an outsider. That, that everybody should sort of, you know, nobody's going to have anything against this guy. Um, but, I mean, where are those friendships early on in the show? Mm. That's a fair point. I, I mean, I sort of thought after the pilot that, that Matt and Eli were going to become buddies. You know, sort of the civilian kid and the military kid. They kind of it are. Didn't really it, they don't go into so it a lot. Much. Yeah. So then we had the Matt-Chloe relationship, which, which again, comes out of nowhere and is... Um, I mean, their loyalty to each other is almost bizarre at the beginning of the show. Mm-hmm. I mean, we were wondering for those first several episodes mm-hmm. if their loyalty, loyalty to each other was largely sexual. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, well, because of what came before, the that. information that we got, you know. Right. So, but I mean, you know, TJ uh, and Rush and Everett and Camille... Um, for the most part, these characters are solitary characters. Mm-hmm. They don't have positive relationships with anybody on that ship. Uh, at least not that we see much of mm-hmm. on screen for the first part of the show. And SG-1 had more of a moral conscience. I, I do think that SG-1 had more of a, a moral conscience because that those were the kinds of stories that they were spinning, though, really. I mean, you had episodes like uh, like Scorched Earth, and you had episodes like Red Sky, and you know those kinds of shows were what they were producing. Whereas Atlantis was more action-oriented. Let's call a spade mm. a spade. That's exactly what it was, you know? Um, and uh, morals were sacrificed for big explosions, you know? Which were, uh, I don't always agree with, but, you know, I mean, we got great episodes like Be All My Sins. And yeah. um, you got a couple of nuggets in there of discussion about, well, you know, should we really? Yes, we should. Yeah. So, but is this really right? Yes, we need to. You know, I mean, that's that's the is kind of thing the that right it was. thing to do. Too late, it's already. <laughs> yeah, it's I already just done. pushed the button while you were asking that question. I think I may have to resign. At the... Okay, get a face full of glass. You know, I mean, that's that's just how, kind of how it was. <laughs> I think I think Dean's right that losing Weir and Beckett specifically sort of evacuated what 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 there yeah. was from that. That's a very slippery uh, slope. Yeah, there's not necessarily a Daniel Jackson character. Who's always sort of bringing bringing up the question: Is this the right thing to do? Mm-hmm. Um, but well, but he's calling we're Jack on his bull, you know. Yeah, and th- these characters didn't have that really. Yeah, Weir was in the good good position where uh, she was she was the leader of the base, so she could she could you know call the shots morally and ethically. Mm-hmm. But she was also stuck in a position where number one, uh, she knew that it was a major sort of strategic or military sacrifice to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she had to make the decision to do it anyway. You know, mm-hmm. Daniel didn't have to make the decision to, you know, not give no. heavy water to the Eurondans. Yeah, he was just a sounding board, you know. Uh, and then number two, Weir had, had authorities back on Earth to answer to, who eventually told her what to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just look at, um, look at the first strike. Right. Exactly. But it's good, interesting points all. Thank you, Dean. Anything else on your agenda before we wrap this one up? My agenda? No, not really. It's been so long since we've done an open line night and just talked, you know, without a, without yeah. a specific subject. So um, yeah. I personally find that interesting. Some other people might not. But <laughs> so, yeah, just looking forward to the fall. This is my favorite time of year. Good. Um, and, yeah, a lot of interesting things happening. Um not the best time to be a sci-fi fan, I gotta say, but um, 
You know, we, we are all, I think we're all, we've all battened down the hatch and so we're preparing for winter on this one. So, and it's just a matter of time before another space show comes back on the air to be greenlit. Yeah, I sure um, hope so. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> so, I mean, I, there is some interesting genre stuff, even if it's not a, a sort of classic space yeah. show. Boy, I thought um, virtuality was going to do it, man. Yeah, that would have been nice. Um, there's some mid-season shows that are coming up in January that that I'm really excited about. Um, Jorge Garcia from Lost is on yes. a new show, Alcatraz. Yeah, that, that looks to have a little bit of a sci-fi twist. Um, Kiefer Sutherland is doing Touch, yes. which I think sounds fantastic. Yeah, I'm glad he's doing a sci-fi heroes. piece now. Yeah. Have you seen? Has Awake aired yet? No, that one's a mid-season also. So it's uh, of not all the sort of January. Yeah. Of all the, the teasers that I watched back in whenever all those shows got, got greenlit, when, mm-hmm. the, when the new season was announced in May, um, Awake is the trailer that I was most excited about. Can you please post that in the, um, in the uh, notes? Yeah, I'll put it, a link in the show notes. I want, I want you guys to see this. This looks good. Yeah, Jason Isaacs, was, uh, he played Lucius Malfoy yeah. in the Harry Potter films. Yeah. So without the long white hair, he's, uh, he's the star of this show. Yeah. It looks really intriguing. Yeah, I'm definitely tuning in for that pilot. Have you seen Person of Interest? Yeah, yeah. I've watched the first, uh, oh, every, everyone that's aired so far, actually. And, and it's, it's worth seeing? Yeah, it is. It's it's still early going and finding its feet, and, and hopefully they'll get a little bit more of a, of a mythology going. Uh, it's, a, it's a really nice twist on that classic police procedural. Mm-hmm. Because instead of starting out a show like CSI, you start out every episode with a crime, and then the course of the story is your heroes put all the pieces together, they find all the clues, and they identify the who done it. Person of interest is, is interesting as a procedural because it starts out with the people, the who done it or who's involved in it, and then has to figure out what the crime is going to be and when it's going to happen. Isn't that interesting? So yeah. it's it's heavily borrowing from Minority Report. Um, I never made the comparison before, but yeah, I guess you could in, in terms of the. It's a pre-crime. It's some kind of a pre-crime. Yeah. So. They're similar in that respect. Have you seen the the remastered trailer for TNG? The remastered trailer? Yes. Yes. No. It is good. It is good. They're doing a a TNG remastered? For Blu-ray. Absolutely they are. Oh, for Blu-ray, not for a syndication like they did with the original series. Correct. It is. It is. It is direct to Blu-ray, and um, there's mm. a trailer out now. And I was very, very critical when I first heard this. Yeah. Because all the um, all the 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 special the visual effects were rendered in video, and you can't up-res that. So. Yeah. Uh, they uh, so I was like, how are you going to do all these complicated visual effects? Because the original series, when they remastered that, there are some, some shots in it that just look cheap. Mm. Um, there are some shots. I'm thinking specifically like tomorrow is yesterday when Enterprise is is going around the the sun. The sun looks so fake, and I I, I said, you know, it, my, to myself, if if they're going to remaster TNG, it had better be of dang good quality. You know, for episodes like Best of Both Worlds. If if the visual effects look cheap in it, I'm not going to buy it. You know, yeah. it has to be very well done. So uh, they they released this remastered trailer, which is mostly, I mean, it's 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 a teaser, is what it is, but it includes one shot okay. of the Enterprise, okay. and it is it is the shot of her. You know, if you're flying behind her just before she rubber bands into warp, mm-hmm. and it looks good. 
It looks okay. very good. Right down to the two people walking around in the observation room. <laughs> yeah. When it and those people, they were always walking. We all look for that. We all look. So I'm not the only at one. The I'm not the crazy the, one. At the end of the opening sequence, yeah. Yeah, so you see the two people walking by the observation room every time. Yeah. They are in that shot. I guess in Blu-ray you can actually see them every time. Yes, yeah. It looks very good. And if that is the, of the quality and caliber of the of the visuals that they're going for, yeah. you see the, the glow of the nacelles reflecting off of the, the housing of the secondary hall. Um, yeah, it's going to be good. Well, definitely look for that. Um, that's the big sort of challenge with a show like this is crossing from model-based visual effects yes to because CG. models look good so yeah yeah but if you're if you're going straight from reference material i mean the the, uh, the original series remaster you know they they redid whole shots of whole cloth mm-hmm. but i mean the side-by-side comparison of that shot you know where you had a model you had the original shot as reference to redo mm-hmm. it was well done so nice. i'm looking forward to it well, guys, that's uh, open line night for this week, uh, or this month, I should say. We're we're <laughs> doing podcasts about once a month, so we'll be back in November uh, if all goes well. Uh, we'll be back in November. We don't necessarily even have a topic yet, uh, so anybody out there who's still listening to the podcast now that we've entered, <laughs> the, uh, we've entered the great black hole of Stargate, we've entered the, the vast expanse between galaxies of the Stargate franchise... Uh, those of you who are still following with us, we want to know what you want to hear us talk about. So let's get mm-hmm. some some topic ideas generated. You can post them on uh, the forum, on the podcast feedback thread. You can call in with a voicemail. You can post it as uh, as a comment to the, the show notes, news story on GateWorld. Uh, or you can just email webmaster at gateworld.net with um, topic ideas. Now, these can be about Stargate specifically. Um, they can be about science fiction in general. Tell us what you want to talk about. Yeah, I mean, you've heard a lot of the questions that, that we've been getting in this show. Questions like, you know, what do you think the fourth series should be about if there was a fourth series? Um, the future of the franchise? Um, finishing SGU, the cliffhanger, why don't we get a movie? Um, that, those, those topics, we've, I feel like we've sort of done at this point, and we mm-hmm. certainly might come back and revisit them in, in a mm-hmm. little while. Once new information is provided, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, it just feels like we're beating a dead horse with that. So, I mean, there's a lot of history out there. We we've done some fun podcast topics on things like, um, you know, metaphysics and and beaming technology and uh, just war theory and and all these cool things. I can't even remember now what we've done in the last 129 episodes. Yeah, your replicators have a soul or something. Yeah, that was a fun one. Yeah, <laughs> those sort of topical <laughs> things that have like an intriguing hook that we can then go back and reference, you know, 350 or 370-some episodes of reference material. Mm-hmm. Great. So look for us in November. Send us your ideas and, uh, and look for us for show number 131 in November, whatever the topic may be. Yes, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for sticking with us. We're still kicking. Uh, If you do want to call the hotline, that number is area code 951-262-1647. You can call anytime, day or night. Or if you don't want to call a U.S.-based landline, you can also make a brief recording on your computer and then email it to webmaster at gateworld.net. We're always interested in your feedback and the podcast feedback thread. That's in Gate World Forum. And Darren uh, uh, is uh, always uh, 
generating a show notes page for every episode. So anything that we discuss in the show that you don't recognize, um, generally speaking, there's going to be a link to it in the show notes where you can read more about it. Drop us a note, say hi, uh, tell us what you want us to talk about in future episodes of the podcast, and uh, please listen to those episode commentaries that we're also doing in between these podcasts. There you go. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Perfect. From GateWorld, this is Darren. This is David. And we'll see you back here next time for another installment of the GateWorld podcast. Podcast.